Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. Frustrations are mounting as the death toll from the massive earthquakes exceeds 19,000. Some in Turkey are saying the state's response to the quakes has been inadequate. Defining the waters of the United States, many Republicans say a new rule coming from President Biden is too strict and an example of government overreach. Others say current rules are too lax. A classified briefing on the Chinese spy balloon. What was China looking for near the Air Force Base in Montana? Is it related to nuclear weapons? And why is the communist regime carrying out an extensive balloon surveillance program? We bring you analysis. The White House might start deporting non-Mexican illegal immigrants to Mexico in a policy that the administration hopes could replace Title 42. The death toll from the massive Turkey-Syria earthquake has climbed past 19,000. At the epicenter, survivors are mourning their loved ones. A cemetery in Pazarchik was filled with grieving relatives from across the region. The magnitude 7.8 earthquake and subsequent aftershocks caused more than 16,000 deaths in Turkey alone. In Syria, the number is now over 3,000. Hopes are fading of finding survivors on the fourth day, but rescuers are still scouring the rubble for those who might still be alive. Anger is growing in Turkey over the state's response to the massive earthquake earlier this week. The disaster has now killed more than 19,000 people, and today's Daniel Monahan has the story. Rescuers are racing against the clock through freezing conditions in a frantic scramble to pull survivors from the debris. This local resident says a backhoe is needed to look for survivors. And there are some babies. I have two nephews here. And I'm not sure if they are leaving or not. But there is still some hope because their house, their room, is not totally collapsed. Traumatized quake victims prepared to spend a third night outdoors as night fell on the border province of Hatay, while people sought temporary shelter and food in freezing winter weather in southern Turkey, waiting in anguish by piles of rubble where family and friends might still lie buried. Rescuers were digging out some people alive and finding others dead. But many Turks have complained of a lack of equipment, expertise, and support to rescue those trapped, sometimes even as they could hear cries for help. We have 30 dead in there. Is our state really incapable? Are they so incapable? We cannot say anything. 30 bodies have been lying here until the morning. Meanwhile, Turkish President Tayyip Erdogan said it was not possible to be prepared for such a disaster. With God's help, we'll rebuild the houses for all quake survivors within a year, as I have given the necessary instructions. But says the government would accelerate rubble removal and housing construction. Erdogan pushed back at criticism of the government's response to the devastating earthquakes. As of now, a total of 21,200 personnel from the military, gendarmerie, and police are on duty in Hatay. He says dishonest people campaigning in Hatay are making false statements saying there is no one there. But many in the worst affected areas have slammed the response by Turkish authorities as being too slow. And Turkey's main opposition leader has blamed Erdogan for the scale of the devastation. The government is also under mounting pressure from the public over the use of an earthquake tax intended for disaster relief. Turkish economists estimate the disaster fund is worth more than $35 billion. 
but critics say it isn't being used in the recovery work. Access to Twitter was reportedly restricted in Turkey this week. Users protested the move as it could hinder ongoing rescue efforts to find people still trapped in the quake zone. In October, Turkey adopted a law that would jail journalists and social media users for up to three years for spreading so-called disinformation. The latest estimates from the World Health Organization said up to 23 million people could be affected by the disaster. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Many Syrian refugees fled conflict in their homeland to Turkey only to die in this week's devastating earthquake. They are returning in body bags, but their grief-stricken relatives cannot cross the border with them. They dreamed of returning home to Syria, but never made it alive. Syrian refugees arrived at the Turkish border in body bags, en route to their war-ravaged homeland. They fled Syria's war, only to die among many thousands of others in the earthquake that struck southern Turkey and northern Syria this week. Usama Abdul Razak pulled his sister's body from the rubble in the Turkish city of Antakya. She was pregnant in her final month. She was supposed to give birth in two days. She was supposed to go into labor. We pulled her out of the rubble and her children are still under the rubble. Relatives clutched paperwork issued by local authorities on Wednesday. It will admit the dead into Aleppo province, but not their living relatives. Across the border, family members will pick up their loved ones and take them for burial. Hussein Randora's 16-year-old son Mohammed is on the truck. I just said goodbye to him before his final journey, he says. Turkish Vegozu border crossing has been closed to regular traffic since Syria's conflict began 12 years ago. It remains closed so far even to aid operations. But Turkish authorities were allowing bodies certified by Turkish hospitals to cross into northern Syria, much of which is held by rebel forces opposed to the Damascus government. Updates in the Chinese spy balloon, a classified briefing on Capitol Hill, an analysis on what the Chinese regime was looking for in Montana and why the CCP's balloon surveillance campaign is so pervasive. Joining us now is U.S. Marine Colonel Grant Newsham. Grant is a senior fellow with the Center for Security Policy and a research fellow at the Japan Forum for Strategic Studies. It's always great to hear from you, Grant. Well, thank you. Glad to be here. House members were set to receive a briefing on the Chinese spy balloon this morning. It includes top-secret information with details on intelligence sources and methods. What does a meeting like this entail in terms of what's discussed and what lawmakers can do with that information and how it impacts the military? Well, it's going to give the the lawmakers some stuff that will excite them. Whenever you talk about spy stuff, the lawmakers always like it. Uh, But what you're going to do is the layout clearly what these balloons are capable of, what the damage is uh, if they come, and um, that's going to be a big help. Plus, the Americans apparently were taking a look at the the balloon while it was over our territory using U-2 aircraft, etc. So there's quite a lot that the lawmakers can learn about the actual capabilities, the risks, and ideally, and I suspect, they'll be talking about the broader Chinese intelligence effort, of which the balloons are just one part. And it's not just directed against us. Uh, it's pretty much directed on uh, against everyone in, on Earth. Yes, it is very important to get the lawmakers involved so that they can get the ball rolling here. Now, please tell us about the Malmstrom Air Force Base in Montana. What do you think the CCP was trying to collect or learn from there? 
Well, one thing that uh, is in play here is that at Malmstrom Air Force Base, they've got um, uh, ICBM silos. Basically, you launch nuclear weapons from there against somebody. Uh, that's obviously an attractive target. Uh, and one thing balloons can do for you is that they help you improve your own targeting for your own missiles to hit a target like Malmstrom Air Force Base, because uh, you can sort of see how the, the air currents are, the weather, et cetera. Um, and that's uh, one of the capabilities that doesn't often get mentioned is you're actually targeting, improving targeting for your own missiles. So the Chinese aren't just sucking up information. They're also using the balloons for targeting to improve the targeting of their own missiles. Uh, you know, you, it's not quite just typing in the GPS location and firing a missile. Uh, there's a lot of things that actually affect the course of a missile. So Malmstrom Air Force Base, where we have our uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles that can hit China, for example, um, if you can get in the first shot uh, the, at our silos, well, you can see the advantage for the Chinese. So they can use it to uh, collect information that actually helps improve the accuracy of their own missiles. Grant, that is very concerning, given China's ambitions in the nuclear sphere in the coming years. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said yesterday that the spy balloon was part of a global campaign violating nations across five continents. Why would China do this? Uh, well, in their case, because they can get away with it. Uh, you can never have enough information from their perspective. Uh, they've got a very thorough, comprehensive, sort of almost hold-of-society intelligence-gathering effort uh, it isn't just uh, using balloons and satellites, but they've got uh, human assets all over the place, um, far beyond anything anyone else has going. Um, and that's you know, it's sort of it's what they do. And so no one really should be surprised. And um, Secretary Blinken uh, must have known what they've been doing for an awfully long time. Uh, so you know, it's nice to see that he's finally discovered gravity. Well, that's really good analysis that we hear from you, Grant. U.S. Marine Colonel Grant Newsham, thank you so much for calling in today. Well, thanks very much. One of President Joe Biden's top cybersecurity advisors is retiring. National Cyber Director Chris Inglis is leaving the role after February 15th, according to his office. In a statement, he calls his current department valuable and viable. Congress created the Office of the National Cyber Director in 2021. It works on the executive branch response to major cyber attacks and helps ensure digital security for federal agencies. The office is at a crossroads as it prepares to unveil a long-awaited cybersecurity strategy. Former Microsoft Executive Director Kemba Anais Walden will serve as acting director. Representatives are moving closer to challenging President Biden's new rule defining the waters of the United States. They say the rule is an example of bureaucratic overreach. Representatives at a congressional hearing moved closer to challenging President Biden's definition of the waters of the United States, or WOTUS, under the Clean Water Act. The issue is pitting many farmers, ranchers, and other landowners against environmentalists and federal bureaucrats. Wednesday's meeting was held by members of the Subcommittee on Water Resources and Environment. Representative David Rouser is chairman of the subcommittee. He said the Clean Water Act worked well for over half a century, but has now gotten too bureaucratic. There's no greater example of bureaucratic overreach under the Clean Water Act than the regulatory nightmare of complying with and understanding the definition of a water of the United States, or WOTUS, as we call it. 
More than 140 other members of the House issued a joint resolution of disapproval last week regarding the Biden administration's WOTUS rule. All 49 Senate Republicans issued an identical piece of legislation on the same day. However, proponents of Biden's rule argue that former President Donald Trump's 2020 WOTUS rule is too lax. For one thing, it does not include temporary streams, groundwater, or some other wetlands. A professor at the University of California College of Law said in written testimony to the hearing, if the 2020 rule had taken water quality science seriously, it would have acknowledged how important protecting wetlands and small streams is to protecting water quality everywhere. Trump's rule was vacated by an Arizona judge in August 2021, before being restored by the Supreme Court in April 2022. Opponents of the Biden rule believe it to be overly broad, asserting it's part of a general trend of the federal government accumulating too much power. A partner with Earth and Water Law wrote in her testimony, Congress was well aware of the ecological importance of wetlands, but as recognized in the 1973 final report of the Congressionally Chartered National Water Commission, Congress left the regulation of isolated wetlands and waters to the states. If Republicans' resolutions of disapproval pass with a two-thirds majority, Biden's WOTUS rule could be struck down, even if he seeks to veto it. At least $191 billion in pandemic unemployment benefits may have been improperly paid with a significant portion attributable to fraud. That's according to a new estimate from the Department of Labor's Office of Inspector General. It's up from the office's projection last year of at least $163 billion in improper payments. The updated estimate came out yesterday as part of a House Ways and Means Committee hearing. The House Oversight Committee also held a hearing last week about fraud and pandemic business assistance measures. Those include the Paycheck Protection Program, economic injury disaster loans, and an enhanced jobless benefits. The South Dakota House has weighed in on drop boxes for absentee ballots. It passed a bill to make them illegal in elections in the state. The bill requires all voters to return mail-in ballots to elections offices, either by mail or in person. The bill now advances to the state Senate. The state's mail-in voting processes would change in a few ways. Poll watchers would be able to observe the ballot counting, pre-filled mail-in ballots couldn't be used, and penalties for mail-in voting violations would also increase. U.S. Senator John Fetterman was hospitalized yesterday. He said he started feeling lightheaded near the end of the Senate Democratic retreat. The Pennsylvania senator was kept overnight for observation at a hospital in Washington, D.C. A spokesperson says initial tests showed no evidence of a new stroke, but that doctors would be doing more tests. He said he would share more information once he has it. Fetterman suffered a stroke during his campaign last year. Many questioned his health and if he would be able to serve. The stroke left him with difficulty speaking and processing questions unless they are typed out. Fetterman's office says he is in good spirits and talking with his staff and family. Another New Jersey council member is found dead in a car. Russell Heller was found dead outside a power facility where he served as senior distribution supervisor. A suspect was identified, also found dead in his car a few hours later. The Somerset County Prosecutor's Office says the suspect shot himself. He also worked at the facility, but it wasn't clear what working relationship he had with Heller. Elsewhere in New Jersey, Councilwoman Eunice Jumfor was also found dead in her car one week ago. Heller was councilman in Milford. Jumfor was a councilwoman for Sayerville. Both were Republicans. More details are emerging about the shocking death of ABC News producer Dax Tejera. He died in December last year at age 37. 
ABC News said he died suddenly of a heart attack, but a new source now offers a different explanation. The Daily Mail cited the New York City's Office of Chief Medical Examiner and reported that Tejera actually choked on food while being drunk. Tejera and his wife were allegedly dining out while leaving their two young children unattended in a hotel room. His wife, Veronica Tejera, was later arrested and charged with child endangerment. Veronica Tejera is a senior producer at the Washington Post. And still to come, Senator Josh Hawley wants to propose a minimum age for social media usage and study the effects of social media on minors. And feral hogs wreak havoc on agriculture, so a company in Texas takes customers on helicopter hog hunts. It's an efficient way to cull the invasive population. More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. The Biden administration is considering a new policy to help stem illegal immigration at the southern border. Under this proposed policy, many non-Mexicans could be deported to Mexico. That's according to two Homeland Security officials. Right now, the Biden administration is still leaning on the Trump-era COVID policy known as Title 42, which allows authorities to turn away certain migrants at the border. But with Title 42 potentially expiring soon, officials are looking at other measures they can take. The new plan would be a fast-track deportation process known as expedited removal. Illegal immigrants from countries like Cuba, Venezuela, and Nicaragua would go to Mexico. The U.S. isn't able to deport them back to their home countries because of strained diplomatic relations. This would appear to mark the first time Mexico would take back non-Mexican deportees at a large scale. Officials say negotiations between the U.S. and Mexico are ongoing. New York City is supplying free bus tickets to illegal immigrants who want to travel north to Canada. The New York Post reported the migrants are traveling to Plattsburgh. It's a city just south of the Canadian border. They cross into Canada at an unofficial checkpoint using Roxham Road. Canadian officials have complained. They say a legal loophole in the Safe Third Country Agreement is being exploited. That agreement between the U.S. and Canada states asylum seekers must seek refuge in the first country they enter, whether it's the U.S. or Canada. But it doesn't cover unofficial entry points such as Roxham Road. New York City is struggling to cope with an influx of illegal immigrants. Many are being sent by Republican governors in the South to Democratic-controlled cities in the North. More than 100 illegal immigrants landed in the Florida Keys today. U.S. Customs and Border Patrol says the migrants traveled by sea in this vessel. They arrived at Tavernay Key in the morning, according to the Monroe County Sheriff's Office. Officials are providing medical assistance and resources to the migrants. No word on where they're from, likely Cuba or Haiti. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has activated the National Guard to help with a recent influx of migrants from Cuba and Haiti in the Keys. That executive order expires in March. Disney announced a major restructuring yesterday. It plans to cut 7,000 jobs and $5.5 billion in costs. The entertainment giant is the latest media company to announce job cuts in response to slowing subscriber growth and increased competition for viewers. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the move. Disney said Wednesday it plans to restructure into three segments an entertainment unit for movies, television and streaming, a sports-focused ESPN unit, and a parks, experiences and products division. The 7,000 layoffs represent around 3.5% of Disney's global workforce. 
the order in which they go about this will share a bit of light or shed a bit of light on their priorities for this restructuring. Shares of Disney rose almost 5% at the news. Recently reinstated CEO Bob Iger says streaming will remain Disney's top priority and that the company will focus more on its core brands and franchises. Yeah, this is Iger coming in with sharp knives because he needs to prove a point. And I think Disney got way overdone in terms of hiring on the content side. And it sends a signal, sends signal internally to the industry as well as Wall Street. The company reported its first quarterly decrease in subscriptions for its Disney Plus streaming service, which lost more than a billion dollars. Warner Brothers and Netflix previously underwent layoffs. If you look across the industry, Disney is not alone. There are a lot of companies right now which are really uh, paying the piper and seeing what they have to do here in order to keep functioning at where they want to be. The restructuring steps also include a promise to reinstate a share of profits and earnings to shareholders. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Florida state lawmakers are moving forward with a bill to take over the special taxing district around Disney's Florida theme parks. The bill makes several changes to the Reedy Creek Improvement District. That's the 55-year-old government body that gave Disney control over the land around its Orlando area properties. The district's existing board is made up of individuals with close ties to the entertainment giant. The bill would replace those board members with five people hand-picked by Governor Ron DeSantis. However, the legislation clarifies that the board can continue its special taxing and borrowing authority. The provision seeks to ensure that Reedy Creek's existing debt won't fall on Florida taxpayers. That was a concern that arose last year when lawmakers moved to dissolve the special district. The move was in response to Disney's objections to certain Florida legislation. It banned classroom instruction about sexual orientation and gender identity for children in kindergarten through third grade. Amid growing backlash against social media platforms, Senator Josh Hawley says he plans to sponsor legislation that will set a minimum age of 16. He told NBC he also plans to commission a study on the impact of social media on young users' well-being. Hawley made his announcement right before President Biden's State of the Union address and just days after some of the harshest public criticism directed at Chinese-owned social media app TikTok. The announcement also comes just weeks after a court decision in the United Kingdom blamed social media company Meta for the suicide of a 14-year-old girl. The Libyan man accused of making the bomb that exploded on an airplane in 1988 is pleading not guilty to federal charges. The Justice Department has charged Abu Aguila Mohammed Massoud with destruction of an aircraft resulting in death. 270 people died after that bomb went off on the Pan Am Flight 103 over Lockerbie, Scotland. One of the victims was 16-year-old Melina Hudson. She was an American high school student studying abroad in England. Her father says he's been waiting a long time for this case. This has been a very long time coming, and um, it's much anticipated by the, the family members who lost loved ones, and um, we're... We're grateful that the U.S. is actually going to begin this prosecution, and we're hopeful that it will have a, a just result in the end. The U.S. first charged Massoud two years ago, but he was in custody in Libya for unrelated crimes. He first appeared in U.S. court in December. He faces life in prison if convicted. Norfolk Southern Railroad is facing a class action lawsuit after that fiery train derailment last week in East Palestine, Ohio. 
In the civil action filed Tuesday, the rail company is accused of failing to exercise reasonable care to area residents and businesses, failing to maintain its tracks and equipment, and failing to warn reasonably the general public. The suit also seeks to keep the company from removing any property from the crash site that experts would need to determine what happened. When the 100-car train partially derailed last Friday, 20 of its cars were carrying hazardous materials. The suit is seeking unspecified compensation and legal fees. A popular cleaning product is being recalled. The Consumer Product Safety Commission says Fabuloso multipurpose cleaners may contain bacteria that could be harmful to people with weakened immune systems or underlying lung conditions. The bacteria can enter the body if inhaled through the eyes or broken skin. Healthy people typically aren't affected by it. The products were sold on Amazon and at retail stores like Dollar General, Sam's Club, and Walmart. People can check to see about getting a refund or a replacement by contacting the Colgate Palmolive Company. In Arizona, efforts are underway to protect the alpine wild horse population. A state lawmaker is introducing a bill to ban the killing of the animals for human consumption. The animals are currently facing systematic roundup and removal from federal lands throughout Arizona. Republican State Senator John Kavanaugh introduced the bill in late January. It states that a person may not, quote, harass, shoot, injure, drive, kill, take, or slaughter a horse that is part of the alpine horse herd. Roughly 200 of the original 400 alpine wild horses are left in the Apache forest. The new bill also promotes humane birth control to stabilize the population of the species. In Texas, you can hunt feral hogs from a helicopter. The company offering the service says it's an efficient way to cull the invasive population. Entity's Andrew Thomas has more on the aerial shooting. On a cold January morning, a helicopter cruises above central Texas farmland. The four passengers hanging outside the aircraft are hunting feral hogs. The invasive species is common in Texas. It's just such a crazy experience. You can't describe it. I mean, you know, riding a helicopter is one thing. Shooting machine guns is another thing. You put the two and two together, and it's just nothing like it. Hellebacon charges hunters about $3,000 to spend two hours in a helicopter. Mitchell Burkett says hog hunting isn't just about the experience. It's also about conservation. Oh, it's fantastic. It's, uh, I think for a lot of people, they label it like a guilty pleasure, but you have to remember it's also, it serves a good purpose. You know, sure, it, you get a lot of fun out of it and you get to shoot some big guns, but you're also, you know, I think taking care of a really big problem that faces Texas. Hellebacon crew chief Taylor Carey was a combat rifleman in the Marine Corps. He trains and directs the hunters who fly with the company. We're hunting primarily for feral pigs. Coyotes are on the roster as well. However, um, they're not as much of a problem for the state of Texas as the feral pig population is. So right now you're looking at about 1.5 million feral pigs in the state of Texas and growing uh, every year. Their gestation rate is uh, fairly out of control. Hellebagan has an agreement with farmers and ranchers. Essentially, the company provides free pest control for permission to hunt on the land. Feral hogs can wreak havoc on agriculture, tearing up soil and eating plants. Yeah, so basically there's a nice quid pro quo where we're able to use the hunting of the pigs, you know, for our business venture, bring our clients out, have them have a good time, and then simultaneously the ranchers get the benefit of we're taking care of their pig population because that costs them a lot of money. Again, uh, the pigs can go through quite a bit of crops. 
It's difficult to quantify the population of feral hogs in Texas. According to the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, there were an estimated 6.9 million feral hogs in the country in 2016. More than a third lived in Texas. Hellebacon schedules helicopter hunts from mid-January through October. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Over in Canada, a bus driver is charged with first-degree murder after his vehicle rammed into a children's daycare center. Two children died and six were injured in a Montreal suburb yesterday. Police did not give a cause for the crash, but filed murder and assault charges against the driver. Authorities say he's worked for the transit system for 10 years and doesn't have a criminal record. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau expressed his condolences to the families involved. The incident happened at the time when the kids are usually dropped off by their parents. Authorities didn't confirm the children's ages, but according to the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, about 80 kids under the age of five attend the St. Rose Daycare in Laval. Laval is about 20 miles northwest of Montreal and Quebec, Canada's second most populous province. And still to come, Australia has ordered Chinese-made cameras to be removed from Defense Department offices. They're concerned about the security risks posed by the cameras. And joint air drills being conducted over Nevada. The U.S., Australia, and the U.K. are involved. Find out more about the exercises in preparation for the mounting threat from China when we return. Welcome back. Australia has ordered the removal of Chinese-made cameras used in Defense Department offices. It comes amid reports of security risks posed by the cameras. According to local media, several Chinese-made security cameras at the National War Memorial in Canberra are to be removed. The move follows Britain's decision in November to stop installing Chinese-linked surveillance cameras at sensitive buildings. Some U.S. states have also banned vendors and products from several Chinese technology companies, The cameras in Australia were made by Hikvision and Dahua, both CCP-partly-owned firms. Both companies are on the U.S. government blacklist for aiding the ongoing genocide and repression of Uyghurs in the Xinjiang region. This is an issue, um, and uh, we, uh, in respect of what's in the newspapers today, we're doing an assessment of of all uh, the um, technology for for surveillance within the defence estate, um, and where those um, particular cameras are found, they're going to be removed. Well, the concern is that these are Chinese manufacturing cameras, and there's data being collected which is going back to the Chinese state. We still don't know fully if that's the case. We haven't seen any technical assessment or uh, attributes of the cameras to actually know if that's the place. According to an audit, there are over 900 Chinese-made cameras in 250 buildings. These include the Departments of Defense, Foreign Affairs and Finance. The U.S., Australia, and the U.K. carried out China-focused air drills yesterday. The three-week-long exercises simulate high-end combat operations against Chinese fighter jets and air defenses. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg reports. We think that if we're ready for China, we're ready for anybody. The joint air drills over the Nevada desert and beyond are meant to prepare fighter pilots for the challenges they would face in a conflict with China. We have two airborne uh, aggressor squadrons called the 64th and 65th aggressor squadrons. They fly the F-16s and the F-35s, and they replicate uh, all of the Chinese fighters 
through their fourth gen and their fifth gen uh, adversary aircraft. The training addresses the far distances the U.S., Australia, and the U.K. would have to negotiate in order to operate across the Pacific. It aims to improve the interoperability of the three countries' air forces, including air-to-air -air refueling. We're not necessarily reacting to any recent or, uh, political events. It's just the pacing challenge that we train to. The Pentagon has voiced growing concern in recent years over pressure from Beijing on self-ruled Taiwan. The Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, sees the island as a breakaway province. This mission is to simulate a need to undertake activity into an area where there has been an invasion by a hostile country. The U.S. government has identified China as its military's top strategic priority. That's despite it devoting billions of dollars to support Ukraine against Russia. CIA Director William Burns cautioned last week that the United States knew as a matter of intelligence that CCP leader Xi Jinping had ordered his military to be ready to conduct an invasion of self-governed Taiwan by 2027. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And still to come, the Ukrainian president speaks to European Union leaders. He tells them there is no free Europe without a free Ukraine. And President Vladimir Putin is taking a glass-half-full approach to Western sanctions. He says companies leaving will benefit Russian companies. More in just a moment here on NTD News. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky told European Union leaders in Brussels there is no free Europe without a free Ukraine. He is touring Europe to ask allies for more arms and to push Kyiv's bid to join the EU. The European Union has, for the first time in its history, supplied such large-scale and consistent military assistance, which we receive. And together with the according leadership by the member states, this security interaction with Ukraine has created a historical example for any aggressor. Zelensky also said Russia has weaponized energy resources against Europe and that it remains to be seen if sanctions against Russia have had an effect in stopping the war. He also asked for more sanctions against a range of Russian industries. Zelensky attended the summit a day after meeting British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak in London and having dinner with France's Emmanuel Macron and Germany's Olaf Scholz in Paris on just his second known trip outside Ukraine since the invasion. Ukraine submitted its application to join the EU days after Russia launched its full-scale invasion last year and now wants formal membership talks to start within months. Meanwhile, Russian President Vladimir Putin tries to put a positive spin on Western sanctions. He waved a sarcastic farewell today to foreign businesses which have left Russia over the conflict in Ukraine. He says their departure will benefit Russian companies. Putin argues that those companies suffered big losses from leaving a large and lucrative market. Scores of Western companies have left Russia in the last year. Some have sold their assets to local investors for nominal fees. Western sanctions over the conflict have hit some sectors of Russia's economy hard. But Moscow says the sanctions have boomeranged against the West by driving up inflation and energy prices. Life is growing more difficult for the elderly in a city in southwest Russia. With food prices remaining high, many are choosing to survive on expired food. In the city of Chelyabinsk, residents have entered a tough start to the year, grappling with recession and rising costs of living. 
many are turning to a less expensive option, expired food. We used to buy sausages and meat. Now we have to save money on this. Buyers of out-of-date food are mainly retirees who live on small pensions. There are grandmothers and grandfathers with small pensions. They don't have the money. I tell them to take fruit to eat for free. Locals say food prices in supermarkets jumped twofold for some meats in particular. Of course, vegetables were very cheap, you know. When I was working, meat was cheaper. It's now expensive. My mother can't eat pork. It's harmful for old people to eat pork. But you can't choose between pork and beef. Beef is very expensive. Food prices skyrocketed in Russia after its invasion of Ukraine drew international sanctions. Data from Russia's pension fund shows that in 2022, the average pension paid to each retiree was less than $300. And an update on the conflict in Ukraine from back in 2014, when Malaysia Airlines Flight 17 was shot down over the east of the country. International prosecutors say they've found strong indications Putin approved a Russian missile system to be used in Ukraine, but they're closing the probe since they can't prosecute right now. This leaked 2017 phone call is supposedly Vladimir Putin speaking with a top pro-Russian politician in Ukraine's breakaway Luhansk province. It's part of the evidence investigators have been looking at in their probe of the downing of Malaysian airline flight 17 in 2014. On Wednesday, investigators said there were strong indications Putin approved the use of a Russian missile system in Ukraine, which shot down the plane. Intercepted conversations revealed that the decision about whether to provide military support lay with Putin. There is also specific information showing that the request to supply the separatists with heavier anti-aircraft systems was submitted to Putin and that the request was granted. But they say more evidence of Putin and other Russian officials' involvement is needed for a criminal conviction. We do have strong indications about his decision-making, uh, but we do not reach the high bar. Uh, and beside that, because at this moment uh, Putin is still head of state, he is head of state, he has an immunity. So only um, after there, he is not a head of state, we can look into what's next. As a result, they are closing their investigation for now. We've reached our limits. We've done everything that we can within our limits, and the next answers, they lay in Russia. And as long as there's no cooperation in Russia, those answers will remain there. Russia has denied any involvement with the downing of the civilian airliner which killed 298 passengers and crew. The plane was shot down by a Russian missile system as it flew over eastern Ukraine from Amsterdam to Kuala Lumpur. Investigators said the case could be reopened if new evidence emerges. Just ahead, could increasing tree coverage in cities save lives? A new study says that a third of deaths caused by urban heat waves could be prevented with more trees. And a mountain of waste stretches across a lake in Serbia, making an unwanted dam. Workers use diggers and tugboats to try to remove the garbage. Stay tuned for more on that when we return.
Down in Brazil, government agencies are expelling thousands of illegal gold miners in the Amazon rainforest. The miners are blamed for causing a humanitarian crisis among the indigenous people. Brazil's Environmental Protection Agency began deploying armed agents by helicopter and motorboat on Monday. They have arrested and removed dozens of miners in Brazil's largest indigenous reservation. More than 20,000 miners invaded the reservation, bringing disease, sexual abuse, and armed violence. This has terrified the indigenous Yanomami people, who have a population of 28,000. The Yanomami people have long lived in isolation. Their mineral-rich lands have attracted wildcat miners for decades. Scientists say cities need more trees. A study shows increasing tree coverage can mitigate heat wave deaths. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details on the research. Researchers say that more tree coverage could cut heat wave fatalities by a third. The modeling study, recently published in The Lancet, was based on statistics from 93 European cities in 2015. I think what is unique about this, this study is also that it you know, includes a lot of different cities and also it's kind of on the nexus of, of the climate crisis, um, urban forestry, green space, health and urban planning. So it brings a lot of different things together. The study found that living in a city with more foliage comes with additional health benefits. The plants can reduce heart disease and dementia and enhance cognitive function. It recommends cities have 30% surface area covered by trees. So far the uh, reactions what we've had very, are very positive from academics uh, but also practitioners in cities that all recognize. We know that many cities are at the moment greening. Um, the 30% target that we used I mean, is already adopted by many cities. According to 2020 data, Barcelona has an existing tree surface of 25% with nearly 250,000 trees. In a compact city like Barcelona, it will be difficult just at the moment to find space to put down trees. So you need to do something more dramatic. You know, you need to take, say, for example, asphalt away. At the moment, 60% of public space, like roads, are dedicated to cars. Coloma Roll is a city councilwoman in Barcelona. She says tree coverage area isn't the only consideration. We think that the 30% mustn't be just covered by trees, but green spaces in general. And it isn't just about the percentage, but also about the quality of the greenery in these spaces. We want trees with big and powerful biomass. We want different types of trees. We're on our way. We will surely reach 30%. According to the National Weather Service, 2022 was Spain's hottest year on record. The average temperature for the year surpassed 59 degrees for the first time since records started in 1961. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. In southwest Serbia, a mountain of waste has created a dam across a lake. Now workers are using diggers and tugboats to try to clean it up. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details on the cleanup. The Lim River feeds Serbia's Potpetch Lake. But during the winter, it swells and sweeps up rubbish from dozens of illegal landfills along its banks, leaving a giant mountain of sludge made up of plastic bottles, rusty barrels, dead animals, furniture, and home appliances. Tugboats and heavy machinery have been working overtime in recent weeks to clear the waste. You can see what the situation is like, but it is in fact much better now than it was before 
because we cleaned up a lot. All sorts of garbage, tree stumps, animal carcasses and whatnot. You would not believe the kinds of things people throw into the river. I hope we won't have to keep coming back here to clean. The waste has amassed into a vast barrier choking the lake. Since last December, workers have removed more than 353,000 cubic feet of waste. But even that amount is just a fraction of what's left. This work puts a lot of strain on the machinery, so it often breaks. Tree stumps often get caught in the propellers, causing breakage. Right now we are dealing with a broken flange. The garbage problem is evident. Piles of waste dot hills and valleys, trash lines roads, and plastic bags twist from tree branches. Environmental activists say action is needed now. For a start, to solve this problem, steep fines should be slapped on all legal entities and citizens who pollute the environment by illegally dumping waste along the banks of the River Lim. When it swells, the river carries that waste to us. Water pollution is just one problem facing the Western Balkans. High levels of air pollution also affect a number of cities in the region. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Scientists have discovered a small planet with a ring similar to the one around Saturn. Research published in the journal Nature described the planet called Quawar as icy. It sits in an area of frozen debris past Neptune. Now the ring around Quawar itself isn't visible using a telescope. Astronomers happened upon it accidentally. They noticed that when stars pass behind the small planet, its ring blocks the starlight. Quawar is about 700 miles in diameter. That's about half the size of Pluto. It's about 4 billion miles from the sun. And coming up, big brands take advantage of the Super Bowl ad spots, find out how much they're paying and what to watch for this year. We'll be back with more soon here on NTD News. Super Bowl Sunday is coming up. The world's most watched annual sporting event will shine a spotlight on Arizona this week. A week-long celebration of the game will prove the ultimate test for the Super Bowl hosts. Going to the Super Bowl is every player's dream, but hosting it could be a logical nightmare in the wrong hands. This year is the fourth time for Arizona to host the week-long event. City Mayor Kate Gallego anticipates about a million people will come through Phoenix's downtown. Everything from liquor licenses to bus service is impacted by the Super Bowl. So we've been working since the day we earned the bid to to be ready. And it's really an all hands on deck for the city of Phoenix. The city has expanded since 2015, the last time it hosted the Super Bowl. The number of restaurants have nearly doubled and 10 million square feet of buildings have been added. We also had to get every construction project done. For example, we have a new SkyTrain at our airport, so you'll have a much better experience when you go and rent a car. We want to deliver a great hospitality experience for anyone who's visiting us, including the teams in the game. This time around, the city's Super Bowl theme plays tribute to Arizona's Native American community. So we are working uh, directly with four of our Native American community from a decor standpoint, um, really have a feel of Arizona, but also um, have the Native American art and kind of coloration infused into what you'll see for Super Bowl decor. The crew of some 5,000 volunteers will be deployed at airports, hotels, and events to help everything go as planned, with the goal of embracing the NFL's exacting standards. 
The NFL is warning fans about counterfeit merchandise and tickets for this year's Super Bowl. In an effort to reduce fraud, all Super Bowl 57 tickets will be digital. The Super Bowl draws around 100 million viewers each year, making it a prime-time advertising opportunity. But the ad spots aren't cheap. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. Super Bowl commercials are already generating buzz, days before kickoff. This year, crypto is out and beer is in. Anheuser-Busch will retain a commanding presence. The beverage giant used to be the exclusive alcohol advertiser for the game. Now Heineken, Molson Coors, Sam Adams, and Remy Martin are among its competitors. So the big one for me is to look at the beer brands, because historically, I mean, going back years, it's a Budweiser show. And now we have new entrants. And so that's going to be really fascinating because not only are they trying to make their mark within the Super Bowl, but there is going to be talk about who did it best, right? As in years past, star power is front and center. Bud Light's ad features actor Miles Teller. Former NFL player Rob Gronkowski stars in a commercial for FanDuel. You see celebrities every year. They're one of the common, if you will, marketing elements of Super Bowl ads. So celebrities, animals, humor, and special effects, those are all themes you tend to see. The price tag for a Super Bowl ad spot isn't cheap. So the pricing is incredible this year. Um, you see an upward trend almost every year in Super Bowl advertising, so you get more each year. But now we're hearing numbers around $7 million for 30 seconds, which is just astronomical. Same Adam, Boston Lager. The Super Bowl pulls in an average of 100 million viewers. For some brands, that massive reach makes the expense worthwhile. During the Super Bowl, most consumers are excited about the commercials. They want to talk about the commercials. So it's not just advertising pundits like myself who are excited. Everyone's excited. So as a marketer, you're paying for massive reach coupled with consumers who are interested in discussing and watching the ads. The Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles are set to go head-to-head -head at Super Bowl 57. Kickoff is at 6.30 p.m. Eastern on Sunday at the State Farm Stadium in Glendale, Arizona. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. A group of NFL stars played in a tournament last night in Phoenix, Arizona, but it wasn't football, nor was it on a football field. It was table tennis. The players included Christian McCaffrey of the San Francisco 49ers, Jared Goff of the Detroit Lions, J.C. Horn of the Carolina Panthers, Trevor Lawrence of the Jacksonville Jaguars, Trent Taylor of the Cincinnati Bengals, Buda Baker of the Arizona Cardinals, and Kaimi Fairbairn of the Houston Texans. They battled it out in a bracket-style double elimination tournament called the P&G Battle of the Paddles. Taylor walked away with the victor in the end. It was a blast, man. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I'm glad we got this all set up to be able to come out here and uh, have this tournament. Because I think I think ping pong is a very popular sport around the NFL. I think most teams have a ping pong table in their locker room and play it nonstop. The Cincinnati Bengals lost in the AFC Championship game against the Kansas City Chiefs last week. Taylor said his mind is still not over being booted from the playoffs, but he's ready to move on. He said Cincinnati will bounce back next year. As for the ping pong tournament, one player was the clear most improved, Jacksonville's Trevor Lawrence. He said he just started playing ping pong this year. Although he ended up losing, he impressed his fellow footballers and put on a show for spectators. And talking about the NFL, Commissioner Roger Goodell is hopeful about the league's future. He said NFL football is well on its way to becoming a global sport. It was really rewarding 
to see how our fan base has expanded. And we want to make NFL football a global sport. Uh, and I think we'll continue on this path. We broke every record around our international games this year, whether it was viewership or attendance. Um, the excitement is just uh, extraordinary. The NFL played its first regular season game in Germany last November. Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers took on the Seattle Seahawks in Munich. The NFL said there was an online queue of more than 800,000 when tickets went on sale. The game was the first of four planned for Germany through 2025. Goodell hinted that there would be more to come. Last year, the NFL played five games outside the United States, three in London, one in Germany, and another in Mexico. A special theft has been solved in Texas. A 24-year-old man allegedly stole two monkeys from the Dallas Zoo and made his getaway through the city's rail system. According to the arrest warrant affidavit, on the night of January 29th, the man broke into the zoo, cut open the enclosure, and swiped two emperor tamarind monkeys. He allegedly hid the monkeys in his backpack while riding the train. The missing animals were later found in an empty house where he was also keeping several pigeons and cats. The suspect now faces two counts of burglary and six counts of cruelty. But the man told police he loves animals and would steal more if he's freed from jail. That's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City. Thank you.